0: Isn't Jesus good this morning? Can't get no help. I said, is Jesus good this morning? Amen. He is, isn't he? Uh, I, don't want us, uh, I don't want us to get in a hurry uh, in two times in services at least. One is when we sense the leading of the Holy Spirit and we go a direction we didn't plan on going. We're just going to take our time and do that. And two, when you greet one another, when you love one another. Do you know that sometimes uh, when you hug a person's neck on a Sunday morning, it's the only hug they got all week. And we never know that. And we don't know how... I, can, can I just say how like... I, I have never said it like this. I don't think... I'm going to say how like I feel it. That may be the most important moment of an entire service for somebody that you didn't even realize it. And so as we do that, I don't want you just to do it because I always go to the same three people and hug them tell them, hey, glad to see you this morning. To really... Listen to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to allow you to embrace them with His love. Amen? Amen. So we're glad that that, uh, we have an opportunity to do that. Uh, We're glad Tom's back this morning. Tom Stanky's back. And we're glad you're here, Tom. Welcome home. Uh, Tom took a little trip to Texas for a couple days, and we're glad he's back. And I know I can speak for all of you. We've been praying for you, Tom, and we believe your best days are still to come. It's not over, and uh, so we're just delighted that you're here this morning, and if you need us, all you got to do is holler, amen, and we'll come running. Uh, He's one of us. He's our family, amen, and so uh, uh, this week, as I normally do, I'll send out a newsletter, and I'll give you the entire word that Jeff gave. I just sensed that we needed to to speak that over you, but you'll see the entire word, and just believe the Holy Spirit will talk to you. Um, We have... Taking uh quite a long time uh it's probably the longest period of time we've ever taken in a direction uh preaching wise uh in our history we have literally taken over a year now to combat five principalities that the lord pointed out to me back in july of last year that we needed to deal with uh there are sundays that i uh i'm almost tempted to give you a quiz to see if you can remember and then I realized I would probably fail the quiz so I'm not going to embarrass you that way but uh, we've been dealing since July we started we began to deal with isolation that that was the first principality that we needed to deal with and we combated that we said that isolation uh, if you're not careful then leads to poverty because if you feel like you're alone then you become broke in your spirit broken your finances broken your attitude broken relationships poverty is the next principality that layers on after isolation then we said after isolation and poverty do their job then what happens is hopelessness sets in because if you're all by yourself and you're broke okay i can't get no help already if you're all by yourself and you can't like rub two nickels together uh then how many of you know at moments if you're not careful you can become hopeless Nobody knows? Okay. Y'all help me this morning. Please help me this morning. We're nearing the end. I got this message and one more and we're going to change subjects. But, but stay with me for two more. All right? we, we end up broke. And then we said the, the, the next principality that jumps on our back, if we're not careful, out of all that is apathy. Because if you've been alone and you're impoverished in your mentality and you're hopeless, then you get to this point where you just go, it's never going to change. It's, there's ne- it's never going to look any different. So we combated apathy. And then so now we're at the very last principality that I felt like we had to combat and we've been dealing with it uh, in this series. And it's the idea of compartmentalism. Compartmentalism is pervasive in our society. I've said these same words every week. I'm going to say them uh, one more time after this week because I want this to sink in so that you become aware and begin to watch for it. But compartmentalism is pervasive in our society and it is apparent in the church. And, and I've said this to you, we honestly believe that we can cut or slice our life up into little segments and those segments have no bearing and no influence on any other part of our life. Therefore, what we do is we cut our life up into a little spiritual slice at church and then we have a little job slice, and then we have a little school slice, and we have a little dating slice, and we have a little social slice, and then we have an entertainment slice, but the the spiritual slice has no bearing on the rest of the slices so that what happens is then I can come in on Sunday, and I can worship the paint off the walls, and then on Friday I can go to the club and do things that would... Okay, that don't line up to the standards that Sunday called me to. And I can do it with no guilt, no conviction, no shame. And I never even stop to think about the message that it preaches to those around me. Because they look at me and go, well, they got to be hypocrites. Because I know they went to Passion on Sunday. Because they blew up my Facebook feed and said, I'm at Passion. I checked in. The preacher said this. Had powerful worship. And then on Friday night, okay, I can't get no help. That we are literally playing a Game of Thrones. A Game of Thrones. I, I think what we do is this, is we come to church and we use the language of the kingdom. We, we sing, we talk, we pray, we preach with these types of words. We use words like sovereign. We use like words like dominion. We use words like authority. We use Lord, word, words like Lord. And so what happens, I've shown you this already is we set this throne up on Sunday morning every Sunday morning what we're trying to accomplish in here is that at some point in a service you will come to this place in your life where you would recognize there is a throne in your life and and you allow Jesus to sit down on your on the throne and be Lord of your life that's why we give a, a, a salvation call every week I know some of you are tired of it we're going to keep doing it because people walk in and they don't know Jesus as their Savior and we want to see them enthrone Jesus. So we set up a throne and we begin to use words like sovereign, Lord, um, dominion, authority. And Jesus positions himself to sit down on the throne on Sunday morning. And then when Monday rolls around, we pull the chair out from under Him. And so we are trying to get you to quit playing a game of thrones and to allow him to establish lordship in every area of your life, so uh, our problem seems to be: is is this we only allow Jesus to sit on the thrones uh, in the area, sit on the throne in the areas we choose based on whether it's going to produce a blessing or not, or whether we can do it on our own better. We think it's a game of thrones, and I told you last week that Jesus will share your love. He wants you to love your family. He wants you to love your children. He will share your your time. He will share your time. He wants you to go to work tomorrow. He does. He gave you the job so you could go. Okay. He he wants you to he wants you to spend time at work. He wants students to go to school. He wants folks that need counseling to go to counseling. All right. He will share your time, but he will not share the throne. He won't do it because. The idea of a throne carries with it the idea of elevation. That's what the word, one of the meanings of the word throne is it carries this idea of elevation. We have to elevate him, and he sits alone on the throne. Well, last week I read to you. Matthew chapter 13 verses 3 through 9 I'm going to read it to you again and then I'm going to go into a different passage of scripture I just want to remind you of what I read to you it's a familiar passage of scripture Matthew 13 verse 3 through 9 said this then he told them many things in parables saying a farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow but when the sun came up the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root other seed fell on the thorns among thorn thorns which grew up and choked the plants Still, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 and 30 times what was sown whoever has ears let him hear it was the parable of the sower but it's really not the parable of the sower and it's really not even the parable of the seed it's really a parable about soil am I right and so I said to you that, that, that Jesus identifies a, an issue that we have He didn't say it like this, so I'm going to say it like this. Jesus identifies the problem that we all have, and that is this, mixture. We have a problem with mixture. It's this concept that the good ground is in the same vicinity of the rocky ground and the thorny ground, all the same field. And I told you last week, I have some confessions to make. I know on Sunday you only see my good ground. But there are days in my life where there are also some rocky places and some thorny places in my life. I, I know I'm just talking about me. But, but, but all of us in the same field, we have mixture. Well, what Jesus does is he says, um, that's he doesn't call it this, I'm calling it this he's basically for us in this parable in the way of a story he is identifying the idea of compartmentalism and he says that the end result of compartmentalism in our life is this you lose harvest that's the end result where there should have been harvest okay are you with me you come on Sunday and you get the word there should be harvest from that word but Because we compartmentalize, we lose harvest. Okay. So now, James comes along. All right, this is going to get tight. All right, we're almost done, y'all. Just stay with me two more weeks. Some of y'all are ready for a feel-good sermon. I got it. I'll get you one in a couple weeks, all right? Uh, because what happens is, is after Jesus says all this, James comes along, and while dealing, listen very carefully, I wrote it this way on, a per, on purpose, while dealing with the audible manifestation of compartmentalism. Think about that. The audible manifestation of compartmentalism that shows up in the way that we use our mouth. Because how many of you know your mouth will reveal compartmentalism quickly? Yes. It shows up there first. He, he's dealing with that. What he is literally doing is he's taking up the examination of slicing life up into little slices. And now here's the problem. Jesus identifies the issue and he tells us the end result is loss of harvest. James comes along and he piggybacks on it, starting with our mouth, then going to our life, and he gets really harsh. James goes blast mode on us. James don't play games. Jesus just shows us the end result. James goes one step further and gets rather testy. Okay, I'll read it to you. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 10 down through 16. Listen to what he says. He says, so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Dear brothers, surely this is not right. See, he gets a little rough on us. He says, does a spring of water bubble out first with fresh water and then with bitter water? Can you pick olives from a fig tree? Or can you get figs from a grapevine? No! And you can't draw fresh water from a salty pool. If you are wise, live a life of steady goodness so that only good deeds will pour forth. He's saying, "Be this, let it saturate everywhere. And by all means, don't brag about being wise and good. In other words, don't say, I checked into Passion on Sunday morning. If on Monday, you are bitter and jealous and selfish. That is the worst sort of lie. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Now listen to where they come from. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, inspired by the devil. Listen to what he says. For wherever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every other kind of evil. James comes along and he says, what I read to you, it says, Brothers, this surely can't be right. That, that, that's probably the nicest version I could read to you because a lot of the versions read like this. He says, Brothers, this must stop. I think James probably was, uh, I can hear him sounding kind of like a parent going, I've had it up to here. Stop. Quit. Don't let it happen. What's he addressing? He's addressing compartmentalism. I, I, I tried to word it in such a way that maybe we could remember because sometimes we forget. Okay, maybe not you, just me. So let me help you. I'm going to get, I'm, I know I'm going to get at least two amens. All right, right here, just two because I'm using their name. All right, in this. Literally, what James was saying to us was Nix the mix. Come on, Nixis. Come on, somebody help me. Uh, I, I, was, I, was, I, I was wanting at least to a, nix the mix. He's literally, he's literally saying this. There should not be the capacity inside of us, although there is, and we seem to continue to do it. He's saying there shouldn't be a, a, a place in our life where there's this split well, where on Sundays fresh water comes out, and then on Monday when you cut me off going into the drive-thru and I'm about to be late for work, Then out of the same mouth that I said, surely he's perfect in all of his ways. Now I'm going to describe a new way for you to get through your day. All right, nobody caught that. You're worth waiting on. He's saying they can't be from the same point of origin. He said, James says it like this. It can't happen. That can be. He doesn't allow for it. He doesn't accept that as normal. That's our issue is we have become comfortable with mixture. We think it's normal. We think it's normal. He demands that that come to an end instantly. And then, so what he does is he he, uh, he stops talking about talk and then he deals with our actions. Now, you, to back up a little bit, you've got to understand that the power of language and the power of the tongue sets the course and the direction of our life. James recognizes that. He understands and declares that mixture will show up first in our mouth, but it will always, I'm going to use a big word just so it sounds smart, matriculate. Ooh, there's your word. Use that. Your challenge this week is to find a conversation and use the word matriculate. All right, It means graduate. All right. He, he's literally saying that if we don't deal with what we say, that it will graduate into actions. Um, listen. Unbridled tongue leads to unbridled life. So James deals with our talk and says, you've got to get your talk right. But it's got to graduate just beyond talk because how many of you know we're really good at talk? Because see, some of y'all come in here on Sundays and you sound like you're sanctified and glow in the dark. You sound so holy. Holy. But he's going, wait a minute. Deal with your language. Deal with your words. But you got to go one step further and deal with the actions that are a result of those words. Notice the process. I let mixture show up in my mouth. And literally what James is describing is that uh, what shows up in the bucket of my life is there because it's in the well of my life. Uh, Okay, so... Then he says, jealousy and selfishness and bitter, and then he, he identifies the origin of, of all those things. We'll, we'll amen him here all day. That jealousy, bitterness, uh, selfishness, they all originate from the same place, the devil, Right? That's what he says. He says they're devil inspired. Then he goes one step further and he shows us that ultimately the goal is, and this is why this is so important, is that the reason that the enemy uses compartmentalism in our life and tries to slice up our life is because, here it is, the end result is this, is that compartmentalism is the doorway to every kind of evil. Because you do recognize that if you're doing what we're talking about, where you have a church life and then a, and a club life, that literally you're, you're comfortable, you've become comfortable with lying. You're not the same person. And when you do that, James is saying that when you have a split well going on in your life, that it opens the door to all kinds of disorder and all kinds of evil. Okay, okay. So in other words, here's another one to try to help you remember. He's saying, Nix the mix because mix makes mess. When you have mixture in your life, it produces a mess in your life. Because you got to remember the lie. Okay, you don't. You got to remember the lie you told so nobody will catch you in the lie. I mean y'all ever dealt with liars before that's what happened you got to remember the lie and good liars can remember a lot of lies and what they said so they don't ever get it wrong but ultimately somebody cut okay Um, so if there's disorder or evil showing up in your life then what I would submit to you is then and what James is saying is that more than likely that is an indication that there is mixture in your life. The the mess you are facing may very well be nothing more than the harvest of mixture that you've become comfortable with in your own life. Um, Most of us, we want to lay the blame on the devil. And we do know that the devil's responsibility and task is to destroy us, right? You do know that, right? Okay, he is on task. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? That's what, okay, but... I, I sometimes think we give him too much credit. We want to lay the blame on him, but the truth is, is that if mixture wasn't in our life, then we would, we, he would not have the necessary tools to produce the, the destruction in our life. He literally uses mixture as leverage in our life. Um, and the crazy thing about it is that most of us continue to feed compartmentalism in our own life. And then we act surprised when we get the harvest that we've been sowing for. I can't get no help in here. We ought to know this. James already told us. I I read to you out of chapter 3, but he's already told us in chapter 1. Do you remember chapter 1? James chapter 1, verse 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. What is he talking about? Do you recognize this morning that the statement, a double-minded man literally carries with it the idea of being doubly sold? Not S-O-L-D. S-O-U-L. Sold. He's, He's drawing for us a word picture. It looks like this. He's saying, here's our issue. We don't just have one throne in our life. We've established two. So that now, on Sundays, I come and I let Jesus be enthroned on my praise. I let Jesus be enthroned on my worship. I use a different kind of language. I use a different kind of uh, perspective. I, 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 I act different. I walk different on Sunday. But I'm double-minded. So, so what happens is I get out of here on Sunday, and on Monday, there's a separate throne. And on this throne, I get to rule, and I get to reign. And I get to act like I want to. And I get to say what I want to. And I can have any attitude I want to. And I can have any perspective I want to. Because this throne has nothing to do with this throne. And James says that if you are double-minded, double-souled, double throne you literally become unstable in all your ways. Come on, look at your neighbor and ask him this question. Are you unstable? Don't, don't let him answer. Don't let them answer. Don't let them answer. Uh, don't answer for him. Don't answer for them. (laughs) I got some counselors in the house. They'll be lined up in the lobby here in a minute handing out business cards. This is what we do. We establish two kingdoms, two masters, and this is what we do. Depending on the situation we're faced with determines if we're compartmentalizing our life. Depending on the situation of our life, we will visit the throne that we think best addresses that situation. And what James is calling us to is to become single-throned so that now I don't choose the throne based on the situation, I force my situation to come and bow its knee to Jesus and say, I, 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 I don't even know if your word is relevant to this anymore, but it doesn't really matter. It was a different culture. You mean, no, none of that. We, just, we go, you know what? My situation will come and bow its knee at the throne of Jesus and say, you rule, you reign, and I may not even like how you decide. But you're the king. Otherwise, we become unstable in all of our ways. We know this. A kingdom divided cannot stand. Right? We know that. We know this. Divided kingdom equals divided allegiance. We know that divided allegiance results in being unstable in our ways. You cannot maintain mixture and maintain peace. You no help. You, you you cannot maintain mixture and maintain joy. You cannot maintain mixture and maintain pace. You cannot maintain mixture and maintain direction and make right decisions, and and establish right relationships, because at the moment you apply mixture into any one of those areas of your life, you become unstable, and you make bad choices. We have literally watched this play out I've watched it play out my whole life, but I, I in the last, we're almost nine years old, y'all. I have literally watched this play out in our body time and time again. I have watched with my own eyes the actual acting out of the old saying that Peter mentioned in his gospel. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He said it like this. We've watched this happen. Here it is. A dog, this is gross, right before lunch, I'm sorry. A dog returns to his vomit. And a washed pig returns to the mud, or one version says, to his wallow. He's literally drawing a picture for us of what we've seen happen. We know this happens. This happens because of mixture. So what happens is this. There's an outward manifestation first. Right? The dog returns to his vomit. We can visibly see by the way somebody begins to talk by where they begin to spend their time, by their entertainment choices, by who they spend all their time out, where they're hanging out. We see the outward manifestation. And we want to act shocked. But we also know that what's really going on is that the pig returns to the wallow. And so what has literally happened is we are only seeing the outward manifestation of what has taken, inward, taken place inwardly long ago that they never would address. That's why a man can wake up one morning after being married for 15 years and go, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Because somewhere down deep on the inside of him, There was a wallow that he never would deal with, and there was mixture taking place that he would never deal with. And then there's this man of, okay, all right. Um, So, mix, the mix. Abraham had to deal with this. You will remember this. When Abram was called by God, he was living in his family's land, and God calls him out. Do you know what's literally taking place there? God is saying to him, come out from among them, because you can't get to your promise and stay polluted. You've got to get rid of the mixture. You will never get to your promise. You will never fulfill all that God has for you in your life. You will never be everything that God called you to be if you stay comfortable with mixture. You've got to come out. So I think what James is doing is he's not only saying nix the mix. I think he's doing one other thing too. I think what he's really doing is he's asking us to ask some questions like this. What is in me? Not on Sunday. What is in me on Monday? I think he's asking us to ask this question. Who's winning? Because I told you last week, it's a ground war. There's a war going on inside of you. The enemy is trying to gain territory. The the, the Jesus is trying to gain territory. Who's winning? So I think... We are literally being called to do this. Listen very carefully. We are being called to measure mixture. We are being called to measure the mixture that exists in our life. So I have some questions. Does your life more closely resemble Christ or the culture? That's how you measure mixture. Does my life line up with the culture or does it line up with Jesus? It's quiet in here. Does my life more closely resemble Hollywood or the holy one? Do, Do I talk and act more like society than I do? What Jesus told me to talk and sound like. Here here you go. Do your morals and do your values align more with the Bible or with your political party? Because I don't really give a rip about your political party as much as I care about whether or not your life lines up with the Bible. Because I got news for you. There is not one anointed party. They're all crooks. Uh, they're all jacked up. They all have morals that don't align with the, Bi- the Bible. And we want to say, well, they're in our party, so that's okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. We're not called to perpetuate a political party. We are called to perpetuate the kingdom and what he says. Okay, I knew I wasn't going to get much help. So, so we must constantly be in this process of measuring the mixture of our lives. In other words, James is saying this, don't become comfortable with mixture. I want to submit to you that we have become way too comfortable with rocks in our life and thorns in our life. We've become very, very comfortable with the profane and the petty. We have become very comfortable with the bitter and the belligerent. We have become very comfortable with, with allowing these things to exist in our life and James is challenging us to take stock and, and to diligently contend for less and less mixture. We're not supposed to be, Listen, you're not supposed to become like Jesus and then become less like Jesus the longer you know Him. It's supposed to go the other way. We're supposed to become more and more and more and more like Him. So are we guilty of mixture? Do you have a club life and a church life? Do you have a social life and a Sunday life? Do you have a dating life? <laughs> and then a disciple's life on Sunday. But they look cute in their jeans. Okay. Come on now. This is We've become comfortable with this. And James is saying, listen, you can't be comfortable with godly and godless coming out of the same, same well. You can't be comfortable with truth on Sunday and lies the rest of the week. You can't have a public life that everybody thinks you're all holy and then have a private life that is, stands in direct opposition. That is not possible. That is not permissible. James remind us that we cannot expect to get sweet water out of the same well that we get bitter water out of. I think it's pretty good. He says, you can't hang out in a fig environment and expect to get grape harvest. Y'all missed it because some of y'all, some of y'all where you, okay. Woo, some of y'all going to some places looking for grapes and all that's there is figs and you're getting figgy with it. I just did that on a Sunday morning. <laughs> some days, it's just not right, isn't it? And I watch some of you almost confused. I don't understand why I, I'm always struggling in this area of my life. But you're hanging out with figs. and You keep saying, I want grapes. Then I hang out with grapes. Dennis put it on his post this week. You can't hang out with chickens and expect to be an eagle? James says you cannot get in a fig environment and expect to harvest grapes. So here's what I want to submit to you this morning. I'll get out of your way. We're going to spend some time in prayer. I submit to you this morning that one of our biggest issues is that most of us have grown so comfortable with mixture, listen to me, that we will no longer, we're no longer willing and will in fact refuse to take stock or measure the mixture that exists in our life. In fact, we're so wrapped up in the last principality, which was apathy, that we've come to the conclusion that good enough is good enough. So we we become wrapped up in this mentality that changing paths is too difficult. So we don't want to do the hard work of honestly studying the contents and the fruit of our own lives. So we lose the mixture war because we won't even measure mixture. And here's why. Measuring is hard. And measuring is unsettling because it's just easier to fake it and play church on Sunday. That's easier. Measuring is painful because then it allows the guy on the throne, the single throne, to call into question every decision, every attitude, every word, every action, and forces me to say that wasn't like you. That's painful. But it's also necessary. The word is very clear. We are given instructions about bearing fruit, but we are also given instru- instructions about examining fruit. Now, someone get a big amen right here. We are supposed to examine the fruit of other people's lives, right? Amen. See, I set you up. Now you want to amen me. Amen. <laughs> Uh, I've killed my own amens. That's not smart preaching. Right? Aren't we called to examine the fruit of those around us? Okay. If we only judge their fruit, their fruit, but never stop to look at our own fruit, then judging quickly turns into judgmental. And the instructions are these. Judge their fruit so you know who's a fig and who's a grape. But you also have to judge the fruit of your own life. You cannot address the fruit of your life if you will not assess the fruit of your life. Measure mixture or you will never be able to manage the mixture, much less master the mixture. I'm going to say that one more time. We must measure mixture or we will never be able to manage mixture Or master mixture. So, my simple question to you this morning, simple question, not easy to pull off. Who's winning the mixture war in your life? Because James would stand here with the microphone and bash us. Can't happen. can't come in here and, and say he's a good good father and then repost posts on your Facebook with the F word and the S word and, and go but, but I checked into Passion on Sunday so it makes my my, my my Facebook feed has nothing to do with my Sunday morning give me a break James says no you can't date just whoever you want to date because they drive a nice car no you can't cheat on your taxes You can't lie and be comfortable with it. You can't be racist. You can't be hate-filled. Why? Because that's mixture. And mixture makes mess. And James says, get rid of it, and you will become stable. Because if the opposite is this, if you're not unstable, then you got to be stable. And he's saying if you could deal with the mixture in your life and get a handle of the mixture of your life, it will produce stability in your life, and life will go much better. So how many thrones do you have established in your life? I wish I had enough chairs. Because some of us got more than two. We're not doubly minded. We're quadruply minded. We're octagonal. Dr. Gondly minded. Don't ask beyond that. I'm just making up stuff now. Uh, Quintupletly minded. And we come in here and we worship, and we approach this throne, and never come back to it until next Sunday. And James is saying, "Can't happen. Get rid of this one, and only have this one, and life." smooths out and you become stable. Father, this morning, I pray that we would become very, very, very painfully honest. And I pray that we would take a moment in our own life, regardless of how anointed we sounded when we sung this morning, Pray that we would be very, very honest and we would measure mixture. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.